listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for February 2020. Today's episode is titled, Holy Living in the Workplace. Organizational leaders should seek to build with people who are clearly submitted to the Lordship of Christ as demonstrated by their lives. Organizations with a culture of discipleship will properly utilize stakeholders to increasingly produce excellent products and services as their stakeholders grow in maturity in Christ. Their customers or clients will experience outstanding value. Such organizations will deliver excellent value and build stellar reputations. And in the process, Christ will be glorified. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Unequal Yoking. Well, this morning we wanna continue our study of building equally yoked leadership teams. And the, the topic is unequal yoking. Last time we talked about equal yoking using the C4 principle. And we built our understanding of equal yoking uh, from the study of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, probably one of the clearest texts on this. Not the only text, but a very clear text on it. So I want to go back to that and real quickly read through that, remind you of this, and then springboard off of that and talk, talk some about being unequally yoked, which is very easy to happen in our culture. It's very easy for believers in Christ to be in unequally yoked situations in a wide variety of uh, ways in life. But let's just go back and look at uh, this text, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, to kind of set a context for our conversation. So Paul is writing in the book of, of Corinthians, the second epistle, he's writing to his um, friends that he has established in that community. He's been there, he's taught them, he's invested a lot into them. His heart is that they grow up and mature in Christ. That's what he's all about, is seeing people uh, grow and mature in Christ. And when you have truth being projected, you can be assured that the enemy who is um, a counterfeiter is going to try to send counterfeit apostles or counterfeit teachers to try to disrupt whatever it is you're trying to do in someone's life. And Paul certainly had this. And so this warning here in 2 Corinthians 6 is a warning against these counterfeit apostles who have come among the Corinthians and tried to discredit Paul. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 spends a lot of time at the beginning of the chapter, verse 13 verses, really defending his own work and defending his role as an apostle in their lives. And now he kind of culminates his conversation here with an imperative, a command. You know, in Christianity, we sometimes think because we're saved by grace through faith in Christ that there are no commands. Well, there are commands. And all you have to do is spend a little time in the New Testament epistles and you find very quickly that the apostles all wrote frequently commands to us. The book of James, which we studied uh, a year or so ago, uh, in that five-chapter book, we found something like 60 commands in that book. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching the book of uh, Galatians right now, and there's multiple commands in there built on the idea of the grace of Christ. Well, Paul here is given us commands as well. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That is a command. It's in the imperative mood in the Greek language. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? So he starts in a series of rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions have implied answers. 
Righteous and wickedness have nothing in common. So the, the answer here is what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? The answer is nothing. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? It can't. Light and, and darkness are mutually exclusive. Darkness is the absence of light. And just as an interesting thought, uh, generally sin grows in the dark. Where you see somebody being non-transparent, you see a lack of information, you see confusion, you see a, an ability to really see reality clearly, you have darkness. And we have darkness, you have sin at work. Light reveals. Light makes it possible to see truth and reality. So there's nothing in common between light and darkness. As soon as you have light, darkness goes away. What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Baal, of course, is a word um, for a, an idol which represents Satan. Another way you could say this, what harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Well, there's no harmony. There's no agreement. They are diametrically opposed to one another. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Again, you know, there are things we have in common. We may have common bodies. You know, we may, uh, you know, live and breathe. We may eat food. We may sleep. There's some commonality, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in terms of faith, your view of God. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever in terms of your theology and the implications of that theology? And the answer is nothing. There's no commonality because the starting point for the believer is Christ and for the unbeliever is not Christ. It's something else other than Christ. And so there's nothing in common. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Again, there is no agreement. There's no common ground. And then he says, he gives us a statement, we are the temple of the living God. He's referring to those who are true believers in Christ, who really have been regenerated, been born again, and now know Christ. We are being built up into a holy temple. And so we are now going to be the spiritual temple. The Old Testament temple was a physical temple that was a picture of the spiritual temple that Christ is building. Christ right now, is about building his church. That is his primary objective. Sometimes we Christians get confused and think the primary objective is to fulfill what we call the Great Commission, and that's not what Christ is really about. What Christ is about is building his ecclesia, which we translate that word ecclesia as church, and ecclesia literally means a called out people to rule. He's literally building his called out people to rule, and we rule by exercising our role to fulfill the creation mandate. And we can't do that well in a depraved or fallen state. So we have to be born again, regenerated, redeemed, reconciled to God, and empowered by the Spirit. And when that happens, now we can begin to play our role in the meta narrative, And we can become the temple of the living God. Christ is building that. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Paul is appealing to Old Testament scripture as the basis for his discussion here, which is, tells you immediately the Old Testament is valuable to Paul. It is Paul's scripture, and it should be valuable to us. There are many in our days that try to dismiss the Old Testament and try to limit their thinking to the New Testament, and that would be wrong. You can never understand Scripture well until you understand the Old Testament. And you cannot understand the Old Testament well without looking at it through the lens of the New Testament. So you have to have both. 
So now we have another imperative here. Therefore, come out, that's a command, from them and be separate. Another command, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, another command, and I will receive you. In other words, in the future, this is a future tense, I will receive you in the future, which means that in this time, this present time that we're in, there's probably going to be some challenges, some difficulties, some battles that we're going to face, but we have a future promise. We will be received. We will have hope. Yesterday at my normal uh, physical business roundtable, um, there was a man there who had a friend who was a hospice chaplain, and the, the hospice chaplain told my friend that the thing he observed in working with people Go, facing death was that if they knew the Lord, they had hope. If they did not know the Lord, they had no hope. And they struggled. They wrestled with death. If they knew the Lord, there was peace. If they didn't know the Lord, there was no peace. You see, what gives us great peace and great hope is the reality that we belong to Christ. He will receive us. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons. These are future realities that we will experience that give us great hope for the future. This is why we have to be quick to recognize who's really in the community, who's part of the temple of the living God, and be sure that we are firmly connected with them. And it's out of that connectivity with them that we're to live and bear witness to Christ. Now let me just uh, build on that just a little bit here by going back to, to verse 15 here. There it says something very interesting. What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Now the word there that's translated harmony is the word symphonesis. Now you can probably hear the word symphony in that. And on the screen here I've got a picture of the Dallas Symphony uh, Orchestra and the, the Orchestra and Dallas Symphony Chorus. And uh, my wife and I have had season tickets for a long time and attended many, many concerts. And one of the reasons we attend these concerts is we love the music. We love the sound of the symphony. Now, why is it that we love the sound of the symphony? Because it is so harmonious. It, it so fits together so well. It's beautiful to the ear. It's performed with such excellence. Now, that's a picture for us of equal yoking right there. It's a picture of how to build organizations. You see, when we build organizations, we, we can't, we've got to be very clear that God ordains that organizations exist. He has a will for every organization, that every listed organization that exists. And we've got to be very, very committed to discerning his will. To do that, we have to approach building organizations correctly. Now today we have managers that think, wrongly think, that they need to build with just whoever's got the talent. And that's how they focus on building. And they just want to, they, they, develop, they look for skills. You have the skills to do something and think almost nothing about the spiritual reality at work in that person. In other words, they do not use the C4 principle to build. Because the C4 principle requires you to look at the spiritual reality at a person to really make a wise choice for who should be in the organization. And I have seen many supposedly Christian managers rationalize their decision to hire pagans, to hire unsaved people, people that, and I'm, I'm using unsaved in the sense that they don't display Christ at all. 
I'm not using saved and unsaved in a normal sense where many people would say someone's saved if a person says they're saved. I'm not using it in that sense. To me, a saved person is someone who's demonstrated that they really do know Christ by their life. They don't have to say anything. You can look at their life and you can tell whether or not they know Christ. So many people, using that definition, uh, don't even think about whether or not somebody demonstrates whether they know Christ or not. They just hire based on perceived potential or based on skills. And when they do, they build unequally yoked organizations. When you do that, you have built a really a very wrong way. And a great picture of that is building the symphony. You would not consider building a symphony with anyone other than the most excellent of musicians, the very best. You would not hire a musician just because they liked an instrument or they spent a lot of time playing with the instrument or you thought you, they, you, you, uh, they had potential to be a good musician. You hire musicians who have demonstrated they have great ability to play an instrument and they can play as part of a team. You look at very deeply. You know you cannot build a symphony if you don't build on people who are really excellent. And if you don't have an excellent symphony, you will not have a symphony long because there'll be no patrons, no one paying to come to that, to that symphony. People go. And Carol and I went to the Dallas Symphony and paid a lot of money, not only for the tickets, but we gave them donations as well to help them because of the excellence of the music that they delivered. Organizations, this is a picture of organizations. Organizations should always deliver excellence in whatever they do. It does not matter what your value proposition is, it should be excellent. And the only way to have excellence is you have to build with the right people. And the only way to build with the right people is to build with C4 people. When you don't build that way, you will build unequally yoked organizations that will not go well. So let me just give you an example of how unequally yoked organizations happen. Remember the C4 principle. C4 stands for calling, character, capability, commissioning. And an equally yoked organization has each one in each position doing what they have a heart to do, what they're called to do. They have, they have enough character in them, enough godly character in them, enough biblical thinking in them to do that work well. They have developed skill and ability, and their authority figures have commissioned them to do this work. So that's what you have when you have a proper equally yoked situation. When you have unequal yoking, most likely the starting point, I'm going to say the starting point is always different theology. Someone in the organization is out of place because they don't have correct theology. Because theology drives everything. You want to know about someone's theology, look at their value proposition. Because whatever that value proposition is, the level of excellence in which it's delivered reflects the theology. So look at the theology first. That's always where, uh, where unequal yoking starts is different theology. Different theologies lead to different worldviews. Different worldviews are displayed in different character traits. In other words, you don't have the same value system that someone else has. For example, it's very common in our culture to value autonomy, independence, volunteerism, those kinds of things. Those are not biblical traits, but yet they're very common in the culture. 
And you have to be very careful when you're hiring somebody, you're looking at the character to find out, are they really interdependent? Or are they valuing autonomy? If they value autonomy, they will never be submitted to authority. They will never be transparent. They will never be interdependent. You cannot build with that. And that comes from a different worldview, which comes from bad theology. And finally, the inability to be C4 people. Are they humble? Are they submitted? Are they teachable? If you're going to hire somebody that doesn't have fully developed C4, and frankly, there are very few people that do, you as a manager have got to ask yourself, am I called to disciple this person into their C4, and will they humble themselves, submit to me, and allow me to disciple them into that C4? That's the big question you've got to wrestle with. If you can't clearly answer that before the Lord in faith that the answer is yes, they will, they will humble themselves, they will submit, and I can disciple them, and they're called to be a part of this organization. If you can't see that in faith, then you probably shouldn't hire them. And so you can see the standards here to get to equal yoking are very high. So the risk of getting to unequal yoking is very high. Most likely all of us at some point in our life will face unequal yoking, some more than others. It will vary. But we'll have to deal with this, and we need to know how to deal with this. We need to recognize what equal yoking looks like and what unequal yoking looks like, and likewise, we need to recognize how to deal with unequal yoking. So I want to just give you some tips for, for unequal yoking, and first just point you to some scripture which illustrates how we can all get into unequal yoking. Here are some people that had to face unequal yoking in their callings. One is Joseph. Another is Esther, or Nehemiah, or Hosea, who had to marry a prostitute, very unequal yoking, and Daniel. Daniel spent his whole career serving pagan kings, and he had to be faithful. He knew he had to be faithful to the Lord, and that even caused him to, be, to put his life at risk, but that was his call. You may have a call like one of these to be in a situation where for a long period of time you're unequally yoked. That may be part of your calling. So in the case of Daniel, he had no choice. In the case of Esther, she was born uh, into a slavery in a foreign country. She had no choice. Joseph was sold into slavery. He had no choice. Nehemiah was was birthed into slavery, no choice. Hosea was directed by God to marry the prostitute, no choice. So there can, there can be situations where God literally puts you there sovereignly for his purpose. So don't think unequal yoking is a sign of displeasure. That's not true. It's just, it's just part of the call of God, and now you have to know how do I deal with it. And now you have to keep in mind, anytime you can move into equal yoking, you should try to do that. But many times you can't. It's been given to you to walk in that situation. So how do we deal with it? How do we face it? So I'm going to give you some tips on how to deal with unequal yoking. Number one, stay in the situation until the Lord provides a strategy to get you into an equally yoked situation. Be fruitful to what you know is true. Or be faithful to, know what, what, to do what you know is true. And a great text to look at here is 1 Corinthians 7, where it's talking uh, about first about marriage, and then it talks about work. He's saying, nevertheless, each one of us should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God had called him. 
This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. If you look at the context of this verse, he's talking about marriage. And then he, then he transitions into talking about slavery. In the first century, the slaves did the work. So he's talking about the workplace. Each one should remain in the situation in which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. In other words, if you're born into slavery, don't, don't fret over that. That is not a disadvantage. That's just a different assignment. Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can get your freedom, do so. So when you have the opportunity to get free from you know, being unequally yoked, you should seek the Lord to do that. Look for him to open the door. Don't try to force something to happen. Don't make something happen just because you can. Let the Lord lead you and guide you into moving into equally, equal yoking from unequal yoking. So <clears throat> some other tips to consider in this. Engage the divine problem-solving methodology. When you're in an unequally yoked situation, begin to ask, seek, knock. Okay, that methodology means you first start by praying. Asking is praying. Uh, then you, you begin to seek. You seek by doing your homework, looking at the options, what could happen, what can happen, and always leave room for something supernatural. Don't be limited by what you see in the natural. And then knocking. Knocking is all about when a door of opportunity shows up, instead of just presuming that's God, and blowing through the door, which I've done many times and been many times found out it wasn't God, knock on that door, and that means you pray again. Lord, I see a door in front of me. Is this your door? If it's your door, I want to walk through it. If it's not, I want to just leave it alone. So knocking is praying to see if the Lord will open the door. So engage that divine problem-solving methodology. Ask, seek, knock. You let that help you deal with an unequally yoked situation. Engage with your commissioning agents and advisors. In other words, you have authority figures in your life for a reason. They're there to help you discern the purpose of God for your life. And hopefully you've had some experiences where you've seen that your commissioning agents, your authority figures in your life, whether they be parents or, or spiritual authority like uh, church leaders or teachers, or maybe teachers in, the, uh, in, in your education system, or, or employers, or even civil leaders. They have seen something in you and called it out. And maybe you didn't see it, but they called it out, and you were able to, to see something at a different level and, and get vision that you didn't have before. Pay attention to that. It doesn't mean they're always right. In fact, sometimes commissioning agents will disagree, and that's okay. The process when you see disagreement is it's the iron sharpening iron process. You keep pressing in to see what the Lord is saying through that disagreement until you, you gain clarity. You are always searching for more clarity, and God has a process for us to gain that clarity. Commissioning agents and even conflicting commissioning agents are part of that process. So stay in the process. And use advisors. Advisors are peers, colleagues that have some level of connection to you. And hopefully they think biblically. They're not going to be much much of a colleague if they don't think biblically. If they think biblically, they can help you gain some perspective, help you interpret things, help you see reality better, help you understand reality better, help you draw the right conclusions, help you make the right choices. 
So this is where you want to engage others. Be in community. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through commissioning agents and advisors. And don't trust yourself. You know, it's so easy for us in our culture, which so values autonomy and independence, to trust yourself. That's the default. You have to resist that. You have to be consciously aware that most likely I'm going to default to trusting myself. I cannot do that. I have to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I have to lean on his understanding, not my understanding. In all my ways, I have to acknowledge him, and he will straighten my paths. You see, when I have faith in the Lord, then he will guide me. Faith precedes guidance. And we have it backwards. We want him to guide us, and then we'll trust in him. That's the whole signs and wonders things. You know, this preoccupation with signs and wonders today is all about God. Show me that you are real. Show me that you exist. Show me that you care about me, and then I'll trust you. No, that's not the way God works. God requires us to trust him first, and then he'll guide us. So let's get the order straight. Don't trust yourself. Trust him and know that the word of God assures you that he will straighten your paths. So these are tips for managing unequal yoking. We all will have to do it on some level, in some context, whether it's in churches, in families, in businesses, in our communities. In fact, increasingly in the cultures of the way of the world today, we're going to find ourselves unequally yoked with the culture. We've got to be very, very diligent about seeking the Lord on how to be wise as servants and harmless as doves. That's going to take great skill and ability beyond what most of us probably will be able to do easily. Now, I've got these traits of, um, of what equal yoke leadership teams look like compared to unequal yoking. And I just want to real quickly run through this, and then I have, I'll have an exercise built around this for you at the end. So I've just listed 10 traits here. First, the first trait is unity. In an equally yoked team, what you'll see is great unity and healthy conflict. Healthy conflict is where conflict is helping you get clarity. It's iron sharpening iron. Iron sharpening iron sharpens the blade. In an unequal yoke team, you have unhealthy conflict. That is conflict that's destructive. It tears down. So you can see the difference readily between equally yoked teams and an unequally yoked relationship right there in the unity. Is there any unity? And if so, is it healthy? Next is efficiency. With an equally yoked team, you have C4 people. And C4 people are always very efficient. And an unhealthy unequally yoked team, you have non-C4 people who are very inefficient. Diversity. In an equally yoked team, we value diversity. We humbly value all gifts. In an unequally yoked team, the only value that people have is their own gifting. It's very narcissistic, very self-centered. Personal agendas. In an equally yoked team, you're worried about the good of the whole. And individual agendas are subordinated to the good of the whole. In an unequally yoked team, you have personal agendas driving things. The good of the whole is not even a consideration. In an equally yoked team, you have vision. Vision aligned with God. In an unequally yoked team, you have vision aligned with man. Generally, each person has their own vision, and you have this fragmentation of vision in the organization. Problem solving. Equally yoked teams look for root issues. Root issues are always how you think about God, your theology, who God is and how he works. In an unequally yoked team, they work on fixing the symptoms. 
they work on a symptom level which never really solves anything. The only way to solve a problem is to change bad theology into good theology. That solves problems. Success. In an equally yoked team, success is defined as the team winning. In an unequally yoked team, success is defined individually, each individual trying to win. And, of course, they don't care if anybody else or the team wins. Team support. In an equally yoked team, you have mutual support for the team. In an unequally yoked team, individuals do not support the team. They don't care about each other. They just care about themselves. Trust. In an equally yoked team, the team members trust each other. In an unequally yoked team, team members do not trust each other and do not support each other. And finally, sacrifice. In an equally yoked team, individuals will sacrifice for the team. In an unequally yoked team, individuals will not sacrifice for the team. So this is the picture. This is how you can, you can kind of grade or evaluate whether or not a particular team you're on is equally yoked or unequally yoked. And to what degree it is on either side of the spectrum. So I want to encourage you to know this. Equal yoking is the standard. It's the model. It is the model of excellence in any organization. And it enables that organization to perform at a high level. It is very difficult to build equal yoke teams. It is very hard. Unequal yoking happens routinely. It's the default of a fallen a fallen mankind. It's a default of everyone to be unequally yoked. We have to fight and labor to get into equally yoked relationships, equally yoked families, equally yoked churches, equally yoked businesses, equally yoked communities. It's very challenging, but that's the call we have from God. Come to Christ and know and then learn how to live, you know, live with Christ, walk with Christ. Come out from among them, be separate, be holy, walk with God, and try to bring everyone that you can into equally yoked relationships as God gives you grace and favor to do that. May we learn how to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.